0: horror critic
1: Good evening horror fans and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host Matt.
2: And I'm Chris.
1: And this is a podcast where my wife and I discuss horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you never learn anything interesting, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So Today we are kicking off our month-long theme for March, which is bad and beautiful. Deadly women in horror. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and uh and to start that off, we are gonna be talking about, I think, one of the ultimate badass women in the genre, which is Mary Lou from Hello Mary Lou Prom <laughs> Night 2, the 1987 pseudo sequel to prom night we'll we'll get into that whole deal in a sec but uh we do uh, spoil the crap out of these films but we do a little bit of spoiler free stuff uh, ahead of time so we'll let you know when we're getting into spoiler territory with that but as usual we have our releases for the week so uh, for this week and these will all be out by the time you're listening to this uh, first up is a film called lucky which will be on shutter and this one stars Bree Grant. It's an excellent film. It's uh basically about this woman who finds herself being stalked by an unkillable slasher killer type character, right?
2: Okay.
1: And and basically what she's going through is she's killing him over and over again and he just keeps coming back every night. So, and it plays into ideas of you know, how, how women deal with these sort of, you know, stalkers and issues with men and then police don't believe them and, you know, stuff like that. So it plays a lot into that kind of, you know, hashtag believe women <laughs> type of idea, right? <laughs> and uh, and anyway, it's a fantastic film. It was reviewed by our assistant editor on KillerHorrorCritic.com, Caitlin Nelson, uh, who you can follow on Twitter at 24th underscore doctor, and that's t h underscore doctor. Uh, but she also really loved it, and there's actually a lot of great releases this week, but that's one that I would highly recommend checking out. Brie Grant's great, too. You know, she's really been uh, just killing it in film lately between directing 12-Hour uh, Shift and being in the films after midnight, and The Stylist, which is another one that's out this <laughs> week. So, uh, so The Stylist is coming to the Aero Video Streaming Service, which is, by the way, a fantastic service and no I'm not saying that because they're paying me because they're not <laughs> <laughs> uh but they're but they're just great. They have tons of uh old classics and new films and it they just really have like a lot of care for the genre but anyway the stylist is a film that kind of reminds me a little bit of Lucky McKee's May where it's about this uh woman who basically is a hairdresser but she has a bit of a habit of killing women scalping them and Holy wearing <laughs> <laughs> and wearing their hair uh, as I don't want to get too into it but as sort of a way to kind of feel normal I guess you know like she has like huge social anxiety issues and stuff like that uh, but it's a fantastic film really well directed I really enjoyed it uh directed by Jill Garvaganza and I'm probably saying that wrong but but that's a great film, and this was reviewed by our reviewer on KillerHorrorCritic.com, Amy Lou Ahava, and you can follow Amy Lou at Amy Lou Ahava on Twitter, and that's A-M-Y-L-O-U-A-H-A-V-A. Uh, and then lastly, uh, there's a film called Sun, which is coming to VOD by the time you're listening to this, and this one stars Andy Matichek, who plays uh, the teenage girl in the new Halloween from 2018. Uh, but it stars her as this mother who was part of a cult and now she has a son. And it, the film kind of kicks off when she discovers a bunch of these cult members in her son's bedroom. And then. What? And then they vanish and no one believes her. And then she ends up on, like, kind of running from the cult. And then there's a thing going on with her son that I don't want to spoil. But long story short, she's basically playing a mother who is having to do some pretty horrific things. Uh, for her son <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> okay this sounds like an amazing week of releases
1: it's a very good week and i mean i'm not even mentioning you know a bunch of other things that are out like dementor which is another really great original unique film that's out now but uh but no it's a great week re- a great week for releases uh Sun is one that i feel like comes really close to to nailing its premise but kind of falls just short and and our reviewer for that uh craig ranallo he also felt similar about that, and you can check out Craig's review on killerhorrorcritic.com. You can also follow Craig on Twitter at craigers, c r a i g g o r s. But but no, but if you but if you uh, enjoy Andy Manachek's work and you want to see something that's honestly pretty horrific at times <laughs> and very bloody and and you're into those kinds of stories, these cultish weird uh, stories, and I definitely recommend checking that out as well. But no, it's a great great week for releases. Uh, so hopefully you find something to enjoy and keep you busy this weekend with the horror genre. But, so getting into Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, this is a film that was directed by Bruce Pittman and written by Ron Oliver, who also went on to write Prom Night 3, uh, as well as a bunch of episodes in the Goosebumps TV series, which he also produced. Uh, and he did some You Afraid of the Dark episodes as well. Uh, and it's essentially about this girl named Mary Lou, who's involved in an accident, which we'll get into, <laughs> where she, she is burned alive at her prom <laughs> in the 50s, and then come the 80s, she ends up getting uh, released from her spiritual prison and possesses a girl named Vicky, and long story short, kind of goes on a killing spree in the high school, so <laughs> uh, it's much more complicated than that, but we're going to get into that as we go, so continue on our spoiler-free stuff. We Every week on Twitter, we put up a poll. Uh, at Killer from Space, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it. So between Love It, It's Fine, Don't Like It, Never Seen It, where do you think the audience falls on Hello, Mary Lou? I
2: mean, it's Mary Lou. It has to be Love It.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one that, you know, I I have, I, I get why people don't love it, mm-hmm. but I fucking love the hell out <laughs> of this movie. So, <laughs> so no, Love It gets 53.6%. Uh, it's Fine is 30.4%. Don't Like It was 6.3%, and Never Seen It was 98 Now, with this poll, I'm actually really happy about this poll because not only does Love It Take It, which I think it deserves, yep. but I'm actually surprised by the Never Seen It number. I thought that that would be higher, and it, so just just knowing that Mary Lou is becoming a much more seen film with a bigger cult following is just like great news. I love to hear that this film deserved way more attention yeah. <laughs> than it ever got. And it feels like over the last few years, it's finally kind of starting to get to the recognition that it deserves. I mean, it was even recently, you know, made the cover of Fangoria, which is great, you know, so. But as far as some of your comments, again, these are all from Twitter, at uh, Narcotic Casser one so that's Narcotic, C-A-S-S-E-R, and then the number one, Says it's the rare instance where an in name only sequel is vastly superior to the original, and Mary Lou Maloney is at the epicenter of its greatness.
2: Fuck yeah. The original prom night is fine, but the only thing I feel like it has going for it is that dance scene, because that dance well, scene is and amazing. and Jamie Lee Curtis. And, <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis, but mainly the dance scene.
1: It's pretty phenomenal <laughs> dance scene. I, I would say that that is one of the most iconic dance scenes in horror.
2: Right? Um, <laughs> and it's
1: all that Prom Night 2 is missing.
2: <laughs> yeah, God, if Prom Night 2 had an epic dance scene, that'd be fantastic. Mm. Um, But yeah, this movie, it's it's. It's one of those rare instances where sequel far outshines the original, I feel like. And Mary Lou is so fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, I love her. She's amazing.
1: Yeah, so uh, I do really like the original Prom Night. And I know that it has uh, its fans, where a lot of people prefer that one over this one, which I totally get. You know, it's kind of a what-do-you-prefer sort of scenario, right? So, like, the original Prom Night... You know, it's a much more traditional slasher. It stars Jamie Lee Curtis. Everybody loves Jamie. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's got that dance scene. Um, some of the kills are pretty great. You know, the it, the the killer is kind of like this weirdo, glittery ski mask wearing killer, which right. I kind of love. Uh, so the original Prom Night has got a lot going for it. But I'm I'm with an and you. Like I love Prom Night too. I think it's great. Uh, and and a lot of it is because of Mary Lou Maloney. Like. The, the character herself, the actress who plays her, Lisa Shragg, as well as the actress who plays Vicky, who's possessed by Mary Lou, Wendy Lyon, you know, both of them just do such a great job of encapsulating that character and just, I don't know, just like the dialogue that Ron Oliver wrote for her, like the delivery of it all, like Mary Lou is just such a fucking phenomenal character that, you know, in a weird way is ahead of her time, but not really because... <laughs> And let me explain. So, Mary Lou is this character that's like sexually free, you know, doesn't really let herself be contained by men or anything like that. Right. And in the 80s, I mean, that was so rare to see, you know, like this girl who's just confident and does her own thing and, and honestly, like controls the men around her, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, you just, <laughs> you didn't really see like a character like that empowered, you mm-hmm. know in the eighties. And, and I mean, even, even up until recently, that's a character that you don't see empowered a lot. So, you know, so she was ahead of her time in a sense in that here's this character in the eighties that nobody really sees a lot of out there doing her thing. But in another sense, she's not ahead of her time because frankly, it's a character that <laughs> should have been more prevalent in films a long time before that. Yeah. So <laughs> um, But anyway, so thank you narcotic cast for the, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next is at, Nutella Nate. So that's N-U-T-E-L-L-A-N-A-T-E. And they say, a blazingly, I I love the description of it, a blazingly imaginative mashup of Carrie and A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the rare follow-up that improves a Pranid's precursor, chiefly because it has the balls to break free from the shackles of a conventional sequel.
2: Right? Like, look, it's... It's what I really like about this film um, is the fact that we are getting all of these interesting different additions to it. And the fact that this feels more like, you know, Halloween was in- originally intended to be an anthology and mm. it didn't really work because everybody loved Michael Myers so much. But Prom Night succeeds in it. Like I really like that. That's how they chose well, to go with it. Well,
1: succeeds is used loosely here because
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've only cause, seen cause the, the first two. The,
1: the The prom night franchise was never very successful, <laughs> you know, outside of the first one. And I, I actually don't know how well the second one did, but I can't imagine it did very well. Mm-hmm. But maybe it did. I don't know. Uh, but the prom night franchise itself, not not so much. You know, <laughs> A- after part two, everybody kind of forgets about. The, the sequels that followed, because there are more. I think there's, like, four or five Prom Nights. But you're right in the sense that, like, and and so is uh, Nutella Nate here, in the, the Prom Night franchise is just, it's really special in the sense that none of the films really feel much of a need to connect to each other. Like, Prom Night 3 uh, involves Mary Lou, and so th- those two are kind of the only two that share anything in common. Uh, but for the most part, it's kind of like its own little... Each one's its own little anthology entry of a horror story that takes place around prom. And frankly, you know, this is something I would love to see more from franchises. Like, you know, because, you know, Chris mentioned Halloween, and it's like, we all love Michael Myers. You know, we return for the character of Michael Myers, for Mm. sure. But at the same time, it's like, you know, after 12 Michael Myers (laughs) movies, like, you know... It, it's it gets pretty tough to like come up with something different right so exactly.
2: and season of the witch was interesting
1: and season of the witch was very interesting and and if i'm being honest i would go to the theaters every goddamn october for a movie called halloween part whatever right yeah, so that'd
2: be so fucking cool <laughs>
1: like i don't care if it doesn't have michael myers i just want a cool movie called halloween so uh so no so i i definitely agree like it is it's Super unique in the fact that it just completely disregards the original. <laughs> but there's a reason for that, which we're going to get into in a minute here. But, all right, so anyway, thank you to Nate for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next is at Dar Dar Finch, and that's D-A-R-D-A-R-F-I-N-C-H. And this is a friend of mine, Darwin. What's up, Darwin? How's it going? Uh, and he says, first saw it on the last drive-in and have seen multiple times since. At first, I was like, this is not the great – this is not – At first, I was like, this is not that great, but I kind of like it anyways. So now, absolutely loving it. Great 80s Canadian weirdness. (laughs) I
2: want to say that's the first way that I saw this movie as well. I don't think that you had shown me Prom Night 2. I think we were watching Last Drive-In, and I fucking love Darcy the male girl. And her loving this movie and you turning to me and being like, you're going to be happy with this one. Like, solidified that I just fucking love this movie. Mm. Like, it's... It's just so much fun. I get how, like, it could potentially need some rewatches to, like, really build it up. But I'm glad. I'm glad that you rewatched it. And now you love it.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm glad as well that Darwin ch- checked it out again <laughs> and, and has grown to love it. Um, But no, you know, it's funny you mentioned Darcy. Like I, I feel like all of us on on Twitter that have any kind of following, like, we all kind of have, like, our one movie that we sort of get known for, you know? <laughs> And like mine's kind of the Howling, I think. I don't know what the rest of you think of <laughs> what I like, but but mine's the Howling. Like I will talk that movie up any chance I get. I screamed about it so loud at a party once that I got the apartment <laughs> fined because I was very passionately defending it. Yep. <laughs> but but no, but Darcy's you know kind of well known her love for prom night too, and the reason is again because of Mary Lou because it's such mm-hmm. a fantastic character. That I honestly kind of think is like a great symbol for women, oh, you know, yeah. uh, back in the '80s. So, like, if you grew up with Mary Lou, y- you had a great icon to kind of like look up to, in the sense that you know you're looking up to this strong woman who just kind of does what she wants. Granted, it's not like Mary Lou is, you know, it's not it's not like some of the things that she does aren't evil, but hey! <laughs> but for the most part, but for the most part, she's she's just like it's good to have that kind of strong character to look up to especially in the horror genre where you just don't get a lot of female characters like no, that, right? So, no. but anyway, thank you Darwin for the comment. Really appreciate it. Next up is at I'm going to get this wrong and I apologize. Is at schwieg Rights. So that's S C H W E I G Rights. And they say I like it, but I'm in the minority here where I like the first one the most. It's my third favorite slasher after Halloween and Friday the 13th and in my top 10 horror movies. <laughs> be nice
2: (laughs) I was gonna say look I think that's totally understandable the first prom night is a fantastic film I like it because, yes, it does have some very like traditional slasher things, which of course I'm going to love about it. But I think for me, the the backstory and what's going on with the killer, make it take it to that next level that make it a really cool, unique film that I agree. I do think it deserves to be up there in like top slasher territory. Mm. I'm so good. No, I totally get why people love the original prom night and not trying to like shit on that at all. I just, I'm in love with Mary Lou, and so she wins my heart over Jamie Lee Curtis.
1: I mean, no, yeah, it's tough. Like, I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I totally see Prom Night being a favorite, and I, I completely respect Shweek for the way they feel about it. It's not it's not my favorite. I do prefer Prom Night 2, as we've been discussing, but, but no, like we said, the original Prom Night has a lot going for yeah. it. <laughs> and frankly, just those first two movies in general are just fantastic. You know, I... I suggest watching each of them every year, you know, make them an annual watch. They're both so good. Uh, But all right. Anyway, thank you for the comment. Appreciate it. And lastly is at, again, might mispronounce this. So I apologize at Mr. Remaraman. (laughs) So that's M R R E M O R A M A N. And they say, it's not a fantastic movie, but it definitely has its moments. The concept is great. And I love the demented Mary Lou, but the ending is a bit rocky.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, for me, it's interesting. Like, I look, I think this is a really fun movie. Do I think that it, like, is going to blow anybody's mind or anything like that? No, but in terms of the slasher genre, which is normally about let's just do fun, interesting things, I think it's fantastic for that. I do agree that the ending's a little, like... It is, yeah. I would say the ending, especially like the very last scene, is a little bit rocky. Um, obviously, don't want to get into any spoilers just yet. But no. yeah, I I agree with that. That the ending's not as solid as it could be.
1: Uh, so here's what I'll say. So you know, first of all, I I love like if, if you're a listener and you're on Twitter, like I love getting comments that range from everything. So don't always feel like you just have to give us positive comments. I like I like hearing these comments where it's like I don't really like the movie that much, you yeah. know, and because it gives us more to discuss. So. You know, I will say that with this, I completely understand why Mary Lou might be looked at as not being that great of a film. Because if I'm being honest, you know, a thing with Prom Night 2 is that, you know, is it super well made?
0: Not really.
1: <laughs> you know, like, it's it's definitely got its flaws. Not all the performances are great. You know, it's not. It, it's It's very strange. It was heavily... Uh, cut and and you know it feels that way at times. Like it feels like there are scenes missing. Mm. You know, it wasn't like the the best production. You know, let's put it that way. So so like I totally get why it's looked at as not being a great film in terms of you know like the technical elements of it. I just think that you know I think I think the appeal of Mary Lou again all comes down to the character of Mary Lou herself. Yep, and, and it also comes down to like this this genre of film that that there's not like a, a plethora of entries in but that i just super love which are these which are these kind of like more queer leaning horror films that deal with sort of like a dreamscape type <laughs> atmosphere you know yep. and and like a couple others that could be included in that are slumber party massacre part 2 and a nightmare on elm street part 2 you know all three of these movies kind of deal with like uh, at least in my opinion, which we'll get into later, kind of deal with, like, queer anxiety in different ways. And, yeah. and they all sort of have, like, these really dreamy kind of nightmarish just atmospheres plus villains that, you know, are very much like dream demons. Like, Mary Lou is kind of a dream demon. Right. So is the Slumber Party Master villain. And, of course, Freddy Krueger in, in Nightmare Part 2. So, so I just, I really love these kinds of movies that just go completely out there. <laughs> <laughs> And and just really kind of get into some of this uh, more repressed stuff within some of ourselves and society in general. So, But anyway, so thank you, Mr. Remaraman, if I said that right, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, and so we also like to do a tagline versus the film before we get into spoilers here. Uh, just kind of getting the tagline and what we think of the film overall. So uh, there were many taglines for Mary Lou, but the one I chose is the one on the poster. So the tagline is, Mary Lou wants to be prom queen. Even if it kills her again. (laughs) (laughs) So, what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Prom Night 2 overall?
2: (laughs) Look, I mean, so for the most part, I agree with that tagline. Yeah, Mary Lou does want to be prom queen. But even if it kills her, fuck you, buddy. She's going to kill you first. Like, she will take out anybody who stands in her way of getting that crowd. Indeed. Look, I obviously love prom night too like i look, it's something that we already talked about we're gonna keep talking about it all comes down to mary lou and i will say mary lou is one of the handful of horror movie villains that i will die for or be (laughs) killed by it's a very small list
1: i wouldn't mind being killed by mary lou god i I mean it's gonna be violent it's gonna hurt like hell but i don't know maybe i get a kiss out of it first you know (laughs) yeah
2: like look anytime i can bask in the shine of mary lou i'm gonna be happy
1: it's like being killed by Caneyman, you know like right? if if I have Tony Todd's you know much more honeydew voice than mine, which you know i I like to think <laughs> I have a nice voice but 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 if I can be killed by that, you know that's fine, I mean, I'm yes. getting a hook through my intestines, but as long you know, as he
2: talks to me first i don't I don't care what happens after that right exactly so same with mary Lou,
1: you know if I get if I get you know it's there are worse people to be killed by, right, right? so <laughs> uh, but no, so as far as I feel like. You know, I, I like the tagline. It reminds me very much of kind of like a, it kind of reminds me of like a novel tagline. Yeah, you know, like, like if, a pulp like, novel. Yeah, like if you're reading like a, like a pulpy young adult horror novel or something, it kind of reminds me of that, uh-huh. which, which is another uh, sort of vibe that Prom Night 2 has that I really like. Uh, but so I like the tagline, and I obviously love Prom Night Two. I've been saying that for the last <laughs> twenty-five minutes, but
2: <laughs> we will continue to keep saying <laughs> it, and
1: I will continue to say that. But you know, so I just wanted to give like really brief note on Prom Night Two for those that are kind of confused about why it's called Prom Night Two. Uh, so this film, you know, this happens a lot actually in the industry, and it's kind of surprising how often it does happen. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom Night Two was not originally supposed to be a prom night film. It was written and shot as. Uh, under the title The Haunting of Hamilton High. And what ended up happening is Samuel Goldwyn Films, they acquired it and then decided to make it <laughs> a sequel to their film Prom Night. And so then there was, uh, I, I don't think it was heavily reshot, but then there were reshoots done to connect it vaguely to the original. And, and you know, mm-hmm. the vague... Connections are, I think, the the high school name and you know stuff like that, but but they're very minimal. But no, I I think this movie is fantastic. I highly recommend it, and I can't say enough good things about it, which we're about to do for the next forty minutes. So, uh, so that being said, uh, we're gonna move into our break now. When we come back, we're going to spoil this film. uh with with complete disregard for (laughs) for your feelings (laughs) on having not seen it so if you haven't seen it uh please go check it out i do believe it is still streaming on shutter at least here in the u.s uh so check it out there if you can otherwise we will see you in a second if you've been enjoying killer horror critic please make sure to head to itunes and leave a review and rating as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me Also make sure to check out my Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content, such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash critic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. Alright, and welcome back to our discussion here on the 1987 Film Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, directed by Bruce Pittman and written by Ron Oliver. So, as usual, and we are about to spoil this film. So, again, if you haven't seen it, go check it out on Shudder. It's streaming there in the U.S. highly recommend you listen, or I highly recommend you watch it before listening to this because you are going to spoil it. Uh But as usual, you know, I just want to start off with who you want to talk about. So, again, this film had and I haven't even mentioned the fact that Michael Ironside's in this movie. You know, huge fan of Michael Ironside. Uh, you can... You probably know him from Scanners or Starship Troopers or Total Recall or, you know, there's a whole plethora of great <laughs> movies he's in. Uh, but he plays Bill. You have Wendy Lyon as Vicki Carpenter. Uh, you have Lisa Schrag as Mary Lou. Uh, Louis Ferreria as, <laughs> as Craig, uh, Vicky's boyfriend. Uh, and just a whole slew of people to talk about here, so who do you who caught your eye?
2: <laughs> well, so I feel like we're gonna end up talking a lot about the two characters I love in this, which is Mary Lou and Vicky. So I want to talk about Vicky's mom in this, who's played by Judy Mobby. She is the quintessential horror mom, and I think it's really interesting because if you ever have moms in horror films, for some reason they're always bad, they're always terrible moms, and for this. This actress, this character, we only get, like, three scenes with her? Something like that? Like, she's, for me, what I find a fascinating character. Because we're used to getting these very, like, controlling religious moms, which is who she is. But there's this added level to it where she is, like, the iron fist dictator of the family. And I feel Mm. like we don't see that as much in a horror film when there's still a dad around.
0: Like, normally
2: we see that, like... Iron Fist dictator-ness with, like, a single mom or something like that. But I think it's really fascinating that we have this mom who, like, uber-religious, like, girl gets fucking hit. Vicky gets hit with a volleyball and comes home because she fainted. And the mom's response is, nope, she just needs time with the Lord. Like, that's well, the mom we're <laughs> dealing with.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's definitely got a bit of uh, of Carrie's mom syndrome, right? right? So, uh, so, first of all, you know, this... Uh, this character's uh, Virginia Carpenter, played by Judy Mabi, uh, which, fun thing that you might notice if if you pay attention to the credits of this movie, is that this was kind of a thing that happened a lot in the 80s, and I sort of wish that film still did it, but I think, I think a lot of filmmakers think it's just campy and corny now. <laughs> uh, but But a lot of the characters in Prom Night 2 are named after very prevalent genre directors. So, like, you have Vicky and her mom their last name's Carpenter, obviously yep. John Carpenter. You have another character named Kelly Hennenlotter who's named after Frank Hennenlotter who did the film Brain Damage. You know, so just just kind of fun if you want to go through the credits there and try to figure out who you think characters named after, <laughs> but um but no, yeah, you know, Virginia is a, it's an interesting thing in that, you know, I I would I would combat the idea a little bit that you never see these sort of like dictator mothers with a dad around. I actually think that, that was kind of a common trope really? uh, in movies. Yeah, because, cause, you know, it, I don't know. Let's just put it this way. It, it just feels like... <laughs> Uh, dads, a lot of the times in these movies, they they get the sort of, like, soft treatment, you know? Like, yeah. the, the men always get this treatment of, like, no, it's not it's not the men who are uptight <laughs> and stern. It's always the women, you it's know? It's always so like,
2: the moms.
1: So, like, I, I do think that that was more common than, than you're letting on to. But the thing that I will say is, you know, going with that commonality is that I do find it interesting that there is just a, a long list of films which... Star women that deal with a a mother like that that have any sort of role with the mother, where the mother is just like super strict and religious, you know, right? like carries another one of those. You know, she she's this interesting character where like I feel like a lot of times where we do see films with a a female protagonist, they typically do have a mother that's like very strict and stern and is against like everything they're doing almost instead of right? supporting them like this is a really big theme in the 70s and 80s you know as we saw with uh Carrie White's mother you know and others like that so so i you know it just makes me think back like we talked a little bit about this when we did our our mothers our, our mothers in a horror yeah. theme but you know, it's something that I noticed in my own family growing up, and and I know you probably went through similar things. Well, not probably. I know you yeah. went through similar things with your mom. <laughs> you know, it, it it touches on this sort of concept of like it, it feels like in households, it's always like the sons against the fathers and the daughters against the mothers. Like, there's always right? some, there's always like some weird primal, like fights going on there between like 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 uh, maybe fights not the right word but like a weird primal competition for dominance between the women in the family and the men in the family and i never understood it and i wish that it would like be erased for movies because i think it sets a bad like example you know (laughs) i just want it
2: gone like i just want like i want nice moms like it's this weird thing where like i feel like you watch sitcoms or anything like that and your moms are the nicest people like they're super soft and they take care of their kids and you get to horror and all the moms are like Fuck you! Here are our (laughs) very intense rules. You're gonna go to church now. I don't give a shit if you just
1: got a concussion. Well, I mean, part of the reason for that though is you know horror is always touching on the darker sides of life that we don't really talk about. You know, that's like you're not yeah you're not gonna watch a sitcom and the mom's just like completely awful, you know, and it's just like a horrible monster because sitcoms are trying to have fun. They're not they're not focused on like talking about the real shit we all go through. But she's already
2: (laughs) dealing with a possession in Mary Lou. She doesn't need a shitty mom too. Just give our I, main character a break.
1: <laughs> I, I I do totally get that. It's you know it it's it's a thing that I that I would like to see less of, only because I think that we do need more like you know good examples of home life. <laughs> but that being said, again, it is the horror genre, <laughs> and and you know I don't really think it's exaggerating in the sense that that kind of seems to be the vibe. Like my you sister do? and my mom. We're constantly this way, you know? Like, they were always battling it out <laughs> for, you know, like, my mom was really strict with my sister, and my sister fucking, you know, fought with my mom all the time. And then it was the same way with me and my dad, you know? Like, my mom was the one that I came to for help growing up, and now it's my dad, but, you know, when we were kids, I, you know, me and my dad fought all the time, so, like... So, I just think it's interesting that it's in there. We're going to talk a little bit more about the religious stuff in a minute here. But before we do, I just, of course, have to mention Michael Ironside as Bill in this movie. (laughs) And the reason I want to talk about him, other than him being the great and wonderful Michael Ironside, is that, you know, so Bill plays this character who is the, I guess, boyfriend of Mary Lou in the 50s. When this whole prom incident happens. And, you know... It, at that time he plays kind of like a dorky dude and then mm. he's kind of a dorky dude as an adult too and you know a couple things that strike me about this character one is that it's it's like a weird turn for Michael Ironside because you know Ironside typically plays very dominant villainous characters you know like mm. he he's typically like he's the villain in total recall who's just this total you know, mean, asshole, <laughs> uh, does whatever he wants kind of dude. And and it's the same thing a lot of his other movies, you know, Scanners. He's running, like, a whole fucking outfit of Scanners, <laughs> right? And he, he always plays just, like, very controlling, uh, confident men. And it's interesting to watch this turn with him in Prom Night 2 where even though he's kind of a villain because he's the one who accidentally sets Mary Lou on fire hey. with a fucking... <laughs> Uh, i don't remember like
2: it's supposed to be well, a stink bomb,
1: yeah, a stink bomb that accidentally sets her dress on fire, even though even though he's a villain in that sense, he plays like a really just kind of like spineless dorky bitch, bitch of a <laughs> dude, right so. <laughs> So it's just like it's an interesting turn for him, you know? Like it's it's not it's not a side that you see of Ironside too often. Like no. he still he still has his typical I'm vaguely psychotic, you know, I'm gonna kind of shoot presence, a
2: teenager. As
1: as he does later, <laughs> yes, and we are in sports territory now. Um But but he's still but it's just not something that you see often with him, mm. you know? Where he's just like he's really he really struggles as a character, and you just don't see Michael Ironside play that that often. Uh, but then I also just want to quickly touch on the fact that Bill is this guy, and Bill's, you know, I don't understand what the hell Bill was thinking after he catches Mary Lou sleeping with another dude, and he decides, okay, I'm going to get back at her by throwing a stink bomb down on the stage, and, I mean, let's not even get into how flammable Mary Lou's dress is, because, <laughs> holy shit, yeah. I mean, 50's, like, unflammable your outfits, you know? <laughs> uh, let's get some flame retardant on that shit, but... But, you know, he he does that, but I think it really says something about Bill's character that he knows he's responsible for Mary Lou's death. Yep. And yet, not only does he become principal of the school that he went to and that he murdered her at, but he keeps her belongings in a trunk in the basement and seems to have a sense that there's something wrong with those belongings, you know? Yeah. So So, to me... To me, it's just like he feels guilt over her death, but you also get the sense that Bill feels a sort of possession over Mary Lou. Oh fuck by, yeah, he does. By by keeping this crown and this outfit in this locked trunk in the basement, you know, where only he knows about it, right? So so it's just it's really interesting, and we're we're definitely gonna get more into like the way yeah. the way Mentry women in this, but but there's totally that possession element there. Yeah,
2: I I have issues with Bill. Oh, I as am, you should. Yeah, Bill's not a character I, we're supposed yeah, to feel bad for. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of view Bill more as the villain of this whole piece. Because that that's my thing with this movie is that, like, okay, it's it's Mary Lou. She's the one who comes back. She starts murdering people. But, like, I don't honestly think that Mary Lou is the true villain mm. of, of this movie. Like, I... I honestly think that she's a victim, and the true villain of this movie is kind of the dudes.
1: I I think it's I think it's a bit of both. Okay, so like I I don't think
2: I'm I'm willing to excuse Mary Lou all her sins.
1: (laughs) I don't think you can forgive all of Mary Lou's sins because let's be frank, she's killing plenty of innocent women in this movie. Okay, (laughs) but in terms of her being an angry spirit, you can't really blame her, you know, because so this is this is again the the great thing about. Mary Lou, that I think you know. I think it might come off as maybe not positive at first until you start to consider it. So, like you know, on the surface, you see Mary Lou as this girl who is punished for her sexuality. Like that's really what it is. You know, you know she's being punished for her sexuality and she's being punished for being more free and not and not being monogamous, right? Mm -hmm. And and you know, so. She's punished for being all of that, yet i there's a bit of a positivity in the sense that Mary Lou comes back with the vengeance because of that yes. you know so so if you're if you're looking at it from a perspective of why she's killed, you know that's obviously not very positive no. that 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 reflects that reflects the way that men thought about it then mm-hmm. the way that men thought about it before then the way that men still think about it now you know like men men still are little bitches Just and little get bitches. and get uncomfortable it, with with women who are sexually like strong and confident exactly. right? exactly
2: <laughs> girl tells you no girl sets down her boundaries or anything like that boys go cry in a corner look that's my thing with this like with her death i know that it's like In the movie, it's touted up that she's being punished because she's sexually free and because, like, she left her prom day. But honestly, for me watching it, it's just me watching a little pissant bitch boy going, oh, the girl I like decided that she doesn't want to be with me anymore, so I have the right to fucking throw a bomb at her? What the fuck, Bill? What the fuck? Just go cry in the corner.
1: Yeah, well, it's why I'm (laughs) glad that Bill's not really portrayed as a sympathetic character because we... I mean, I think you're watching this movie wrong if you think that Bill's like someone you're supposed to feel sorry for, because he's Mm -hmm. definitely not. Nope. You know, and but but anyway, so getting back to what I was saying is like, I love the positivity on the other side of it of okay, she's punished for all this shit because of the terrible way that society views these things. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. like Bill, Bill could have slept with fucking 20 women at once, you know, and nobody bad an eye. Nobody bad and I I doubt that any women are going to throw a stink bomb at him and set him on
2: fire. <laughs> no, we're adults about the situation.
1: And and you know, but it's like Mary Lou, it's like I get it. She cheated, you know? That sucks. It like does. that's not that's not a good thing of her to do. We're not we're not lifting that up as like a good <laughs> thing to do. But it does but she doesn't deserve to die for no. it, you know? And so especially not as a teenager where it's like I'm sorry bill but uh you're probably not meeting the love of your life in high school all right like it's just not gonna happen so very rarely is that the case so so there's all of that but then i think the positive way to look at it is the film is kind of it kind of has this message of like hey fuck around and find out bill (laughs) you know like (laughs) like fuck around and, and and see what it gets you when you come at a woman like mary lou for for doing that you know it's like it it because it because it all comes back again to the idea of possession. It's it's the fact the reason Bill and Father Cooper, played by Richard Monet, are are being punished later on is because they're possessive over Mary Lou. Yeah, they think that they own her, and they don't. You, you know? can't and, and own Mary Lou, and that's the whole point. Is Mary Lou is a woman that you don't own. <laughs> you know, uh,
2: that's why for me, I have well, been- you don't own
1: any women, but you get no. my point. <laughs> like you you cannot. <laughs> Even try to if you're bill right, so exactly,
2: <laughs> it's why like I have mixed feelings about the end, um because it almost seems like that very end, like Bill comes to save Craig from getting like sucked into the into the steamer trunk, and then Bill and Mary Lou have that like nice prom moment, kind of mm. where they get to go back in time and she has their crown, and I just have a moment with that where I'm like, no. Fuck Bill. Like, he does not get to have this <laughs> well, nice moment with Mary Lou. I get it. He's dying and sacrificing blah blah blah. He still does not deserve this girl.
1: Well look, I mean it's still it's still not perfect. You know, yeah. it's written by men, it's a little yeah. bit problematic. I, I do believe Ron Oliver was gay, so he you know, there's so there's more there's less of a standard like cis male viewpoint on Mary Lou, yes. right? Like you can definitely sense that Ron Oliver approached this character the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still, you know, there's still uh, slight male viewpoints that work their way in that aren't without <laughs> problems, right? So so you do have the thing with the fact that Mary Lou still kind of comes together with Bill at the end for whatever reason. I think it kind of implies that she maybe liked him.
2: I think she and, did. You know, like she
1: cared to a degree, but maybe he was just too much for her. I don't know. But then, But then I think the other thing that the film kind of touches on is this sort of idea of how men kind of force women to compete <laughs> with each other yep. and, and you know, kind of lift them up for the wrong things. So, you know, because, cause like, e- going back to that tagline, like, the whole thing is Mary Lou is coming back from the dead because she wants to be prom queen. Like, not really. She's coming yeah. back from the dead from vengeance, you know? <laughs> it's not about being a prom queen. Yep. I mean, she certainly wants she, to be. She does want that but, ground, though. But that's part of the problem, you know, is, like, you know, is even, even a confident woman like Mary Lou who can take whatever she wants. The thing she's focused on is this <laughs> fucking piece of junk, you know, trinket fucking theater prom <laughs> crown.
2: <laughs> Those are real glass that,
1: jewels. Uh, sure they are, but, but you know, she she's focused on that and it just strikes this idea of, like, you know, how we have pageants for women and, mm-hmm. and like, and it's always about the prom queen, not the prom king. And it just, it always comes back to ideas of, like, you know, women being held up as important because they're pretty instead yeah. of instead of things that, you know, matter. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think there's a little bit of that in there. A little bit of problematic stuff where it's like, I love the character of Mary Lou. The fact that, you know, the movie is is making her obsessed with being a prom queen and 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 a lot of the other women obsessed mm. with being prom queen. You know, it's not, I don't know. It's a a little bit iffy to me.
2: (laughs) It is. It's an interesting thing, though, because, like, Mary Lou is so obsessed with being prom queen. She's this confident woman. And the person she ends up possessing in this film is not the bitchy, obsessed prom queen girl, which is Kelly. But she ends up possessing Vicky, who could not care less about being prom queen. Mm. Um,
1: I think Vicky cares a little bit, but not to the degree the other girl. She does.
2: Not to the same that, like, Kelly and Mary Lou seem to care about it. So I think it's really an interesting choice that Mary Lou chooses Vicky as her person um, to possess. Like, what? Why?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, why is, you know...
2: Other than that she opened the trunk.
1: Well, surface level is yes. Vicky opens the trunk. (laughs) She she takes the dress, you know, they're... (laughs) there are very obvious reasons for like why Mary Lou chooses her you know cuz it's it's like standard possession within an item kind of thing yeah. but but i but what i like about this is i i love that vicky is the one who's chosen because you could have easily you know had a character like kelly mm-hmm. who who is much more like mary lou right uh be possessed by her now obviously us as viewers we're not going to be as into Following a character like <laughs> Kelly, who we kind of just wish would die already, right? Because, I mean, our introduction to Kelly is I'm going to look so hot in my red Spanish dress. Tss. Like, she, <laughs> I don't, I don't hate her. I she, feel she's, bad for Kelly. Yeah. I, there's a bit of sympathy there because Kelly's also kind of obsessed, I think, with the Ron things, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and there's more to say on that too in a sec. But, but, but underneath the surface, I think is is what makes Prom Night Two such a memorable and fantastic movie. Is that like this isn't just a possession film? You know, no. this isn't this isn't just uh, the Exorcist with a demon taking over Reagan and you know doing was, weird stuff with a, a cross and yeah. like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> like uh, th- this goes deeper. You know, this is. Like I mentioned before, like, there's this there's this small genre of horror films that are these kind of, like, queer-leaning, just dreamscape-y uh, nightmares, right? Like, uh-huh. just these very, like, lucid, surreal kind of movies. And I really love the whole kind of thematic going on here with, with Vicky and Mary Lou because, you know, aside from the obvious things like Vicky Took Her Dress... I like to imagine. I like to imagine that Mary Lou sort of chooses Vicky because she she honestly seems like she could have chosen anybody. You know, yes, because because I mean you have you have the attachment to the crown. Mm-hmm. Mary Lou doesn't really seem all that contained. She kind of no. seems like she can do whatever she wants. Yeah, she goes
2: wherever the fuck she wants. <laughs>
1: so so I like the fact that she chooses Vicky because Vicky is the sort of opposite of Mary Lou. You know, she's mm-hmm. very. She's very sexually repressed. She, yep. She's honestly repressed in, like, almost every way possible. Oh, yeah. Uh, our, I mean, our introduction to Vicky is she's standing in front of a mirror, doesn't really seem very confident in mm-hmm. her looks or herself, you know. She doesn't uh, speak
2: up for herself.
1: Doesn't speak up for herself, lets her mom boss her around, kind of lets others boss her around. Yep. She's bullied by the other girls like Kelly. And, you know, and, and she's very, like, all about God and you know like like even her boyfriend Craig like he give you know of all things that he could give her he gives her a cross yeah. as a gift you know worst which worst present which ever who, which teenage girl doesn't want that right Ugh. just like a pretty cross to wear and hey i'm not insulting it nope. I know there are plenty of you out there that would like that mm-hmm. but i'm just saying not for me nope. but you know but she she's very all about church and and that kind of thing and you know and she strikes me as very innocent like she mm-hmm. You know, there's a conversation with uh, with her, and I think the girl's name is Jess, who ends up being pregnant. Where Jess is like going on this long ramble about, you know, leading up to the admission that she's pregnant, and it <laughs> seems like Vicky has no fucking clue that that's where the conversation's going. No, she's just like yet, that dude's a dick. Right. Yeah. You're. If you're an audience member, though, you're probably you probably know from the very beginning that Jess is pregnant. possibly pregnant because our introduction to her is that she has a doctor's appointment she doesn't want to really, really get into, right? Yep. And, and Vicky is just completely naive of that. So, so, you know, I I I feel like this film is kind of like Mary Lou pushing Vicky to a sort of sexual awakening. Yeah. Uh, Where it's not just about her becoming more sexual, but also maybe realizing about herself that if she's not gay, she's at least bisexual because mm-hmm. – you know, the reason I say that is there... Take, for instance, the one of the early scenes where Mary Lou kind of attacks, let's say, Vicky, right? Mm-hmm. So, Vicky's in her room. She's not wearing any pants. You know, yeah. she's in bed, like a very vulnerable, sexy position. Well, not sexy, but she's in a very vulnerable position, right? Mm-hmm. And... And there's like this weird horse with its tongue horse. With its ton kind of flapping (laughs) around all sexy like, right? Like I'm not saying I'm attracted to the horse. I'm saying that the horse flapping its ton around is. Is that supposed to be sexy? No, it's but it's sexualized. It's like it's like it's like when someone sticks their tongue at you and they do like the ton flick thing, right? Like that that's what the horse is doing there, right? So
2: Fair
1: enough, yes. So so the horse is there and and the moment that Vicky is attacked in bed is when she drops her drawing of, I think, herself, and then she picks it back up, and it's a drawing of Mary Lou, and instead of the attack happening right at that second, Vicky kind of leans back, she looks at the portrait, and you get the sense that it's like she's kind of looking at it and maybe feeling some kind of attraction to Mary Lou.
2: I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Who but, you know,
1: <laughs> but she's feeling that, and then all of a sudden the attack comes, and... You know, it's 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 not like an attack of she gets possessed. It's an attack of she gets uh, felt up. She gets felt up. Yep. Mary Lou. Mary Lou puts a sheet over, her and you see like hands coming up under the sheets and grabbing her everywhere. You know, and yep. it, it's just very much like Mary Lou is almost kind of trying to get this repressed sexuality. This this you know maybe untapped (laughs) realization inside Vicky out. You know, she's trying to like bring that out. And one other comment that I'll make on that for why I feel this way is like, you also have this idea that when Vicky finally does become fully possessed by Mary Lou, what's the first thing that happens? She gets stuck in the trunk, and she comes out fucking naked. Yep. You know, it's it's highly sexual. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> she didn't need to come out of that they, trunk naked. She just is. Things and, <laughs>
2: happened in that chalkboard swimming pool.
1: They may have, <laughs> you know. But she comes out naked, She and all of a sudden, she's sexually free. Mm-hmm. She's going into the shower and, like, feeling up the other girl in there, you know. And, and yep. that whole scene is her stalking her naked. Like, all yep. of a sudden, Vicky's confident. She's kissing this girl. She, you know, it, it's like suddenly she is giving into these feelings that maybe were repressed beforehand you know so
2: it's the thing that i love about it is like you know with mary lou i definitely think that mary lou is is bisexual and i definitely think that vicky is bisexual just because like the amount of time we spend with her boyfriend they do not act like a couple. Like, not in the sense that we normally see with movies. They're not, oh, yeah. they're not all over they're each other. They're not your average
1: teenage couple. <laughs>
2: like, I would almost make the argument that maybe they're both the only two gay kids in school and they haven't come to terms with that yet, so they just partnered up to, like, keep everybody else away from them because Craig doesn't seem super interested in Vicky well, either. It, but
1: I, and I don't think either of them have acknowledged that. Yeah. I think it's just how they I, might feel internally or maybe don't even know that they feel that way internally
0: yet. Yeah,
2: I, I think <laughs> that's a lot of what this movie is is coming to terms in like most high school coming to terms with who you are and figuring it out and it's not always the most pleasant nice awakening sometimes you got to get shot by a fucking 30 year old like possessive man to have that like inner being just rip itself out of your chest
1: indeed <laughs> you know and so and it all kind of strikes back to to something that i think that was interesting that was going on with these movies in the 80s. And going back to A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 and Slumber Party Massacre Part 2, weird how it's always Part 2s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's always Part 2s with this weird...
2: It's because tri- they they want to suck you in with the first one and be like, look, here's here's an entirely straight cast. Oh, you're back for number two? Okay, we're going to talk about some gay <laughs> shit now.
1: Yeah, but it's always number twos. But anyway, like, it, you know, something, but something that was kind of going on with these movies is... You know this was during the AIDS crisis in the eighties uh, when when basically you know Reaganism just killed like in a generation mat- an entire generation of the queer community you know like because like AIDS was kind of this issue that was sort of just pushed aside by the government because oh well, it's not everybody, it's just queer people you know and you uh, know? just awful, awful time but but some of these horror films you know they feel like you can view them as one. One or the other. You can, you can. It it kind of depends on like how you take it, but I think you can view them either as kind of like prom night two, where it's you know giving you kind of queer characters to root for, or and and Nightmare on Elm Street two was the same thing too. But something that's interesting is that writer was more approaching it, like you know the the writer of that film he didn't he didn't mean for it to be like positive mm-hmm. for the queer community. He actually meant to plague on. Or, or or to prey on the uh, uh the fear of the straight community of the queer community, Ugh. you know, and, and that's and it's interesting to kind of watch these movies in that context where, and, and and I'm obviously I don't think Ron Oliver was doing this, but but I think like as a, a straight cis person or whatever, I think I think that community maybe what. Started, stood out to them at the time is, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's almost like these movies are encapsulating, like, this straight fear of the queer community. Yeah. You know, because when you watch Prom Night 2, again, going back to the shower scene, mm-hmm. you know, what happens there? You got this, seems like uh, a straight girl in the shower mm-hmm. getting accosted by, by Vicky as Mary Lou, and, and then she freaks out and runs away and then is murdered, right? Yeah. And, and so it's almost kind of like... You know, in, in underneath the surface, it's almost like it, it's playing on those straight fears of, you know, the, like, the, the, <laughs> the queers are going to get me, you know, yeah. like that's <laughs> I, and that's not, I don't think that that's the intention of the movie, but yeah. but it's, it, it can be read there, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, but, but I like it in the sense that I like that it's kind of like attacking the straight community in a sense, too. <laughs> And being like, hey, fuck you for thinking I'm the monster, right? I am like, definitely you're gonna, you're down gonna, for that. Like, you're going to think I'm the monster, then fuck you, I'll yeah. be the monster, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> like, that's kind of how I view it, but... Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. I would make the argument that I want to say it's Monica who's in, the, in that shower scene.
0: Yes. Oh,
2: I, I almost take it as Monica running away from her own feelings as well, because I've, she's that beginning when they first start kind of like... Vicky starts kissing her. She's not opposed to that. It's only yeah. when, like... Because Vicky doesn't really do too much. She kisses her like a couple of times on the face. So I'm going to go with the argument that Monica just hasn't come to terms with the fact that she finds her best friend fucking sexy as hell.
1: And that's that's totally, that's definitely yeah. there too. That's totally possible. I'm not, I'm not, I am not making an argument for yeah. the fact that the movie, I, I am not making an argument for the idea that the movie is about straight fear. Mm-hmm. I, I'm more saying that I almost see it as like an attack on straight fear of the queer community, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know, like I said, like I view it more as, as as Vicky and Mary Lou kind of being like, "Fuck you! You're gonna think I'm the monster. Yep. I'm gonna be the monster for you. Then if that's how you're gonna treat me, you know, like that. That's fair. That's more how I see it. But yep. but it definitely plays like for a straight audience. I think it played at the time, mm-hmm. as, as that was part of the appeal of the horror. Is I think that straight audiences probably viewed stuff like this this way because that because again that's what the Nightmare (laughs) on Elm Street 2 writer meant to do is Mm -hmm. is prey on those fears you know so (laughs) but anyway so kind of getting into that like you know this film does have a a very heavy religious theme as well so what are your thoughts on like the way that religion's kind of being used here
2: (laughs) I I kind of feel like this whole movie is kind of making fun of the ineffectiveness of religion and prayer and stuff like that Oh, because like we're opening the movie on Mary Lou just taking the piss out of a preacher like because it opens on Mary Lou just being like, you know, doing confession, confessing all of her her sins, like her fucking sins are the fact that she was disobedient to her parents. She had some sex and she said some swear words
1: hell hell demon <laughs> well and goddamn,
2: and all that kind of stuff and the priest responds like those are very grave sins like motherfucker no they're not that's being yeah. a teenager
1: yeah no grave sins are murdering grave sins are not having sex i like, like the idea <laughs> that
2: she's just like oh you think those are grave sins i'm gonna show you some grave sins but yeah that's that's kind of my viewpoint on it is that like it opens and is trying to showcase throughout the movie like Look, this stuff, it just, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't stop anything. Like, the fucking priest, Father Cooper, he tries to exorcise the whole town? Like I still,
1: I still don't. I don't know where you're getting that well, from. He's, he's not just, trying to exorcise the town. He's trying to get rid of Mary Lou's spirit from Vicky. I
2: know, but like Vicky's not there. He's just in a church by himself. Like but that's not need, effective. She doesn't
1: need to be. It's I, like it's like voodoo. You know, you just take someone's hair and then you curse them with that. I don't think that's how. I
2: don't think that's how Christianity works. I know that's
1: not how it works. I'm just making the point <laughs> that she's not. He's not trying to exercise the town, he's trying to exercise Vicky. <laughs>
2: I still think that his way of going about it is just super ineffective, and that's...
1: What'd you want him to do? Kidnap Vicky? And...
2: <laughs> well, if you're going to do an exorcism scene, you should at least have the person there.
1: Alright, whatever. So, I don't... <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily know that I would phrase it as, I think the movie is making fun of the church. i more... But, I mean, you can see it that way, though, because I think it's more just, frankly, a middle finger to the church. Yes. I, I think that you know so so this kind of goes along with the the uh suppression of women from men mm-hmm. like th- this whole movie is honestly just one big giant commentary on the suppression of women right like yes. that's that's frankly all it is it's just like this giant commentary on that because you have the suppression of men against women you have Vicky's suppressed sexuality, right? Yep. And then you have the church, which is frankly responsible for all of it, probably, <laughs> because Vicky has been raised in this, you know, religious environment. She's been raised with a strict mother who thinks that everything's a fucking sin. Yep. You know, and to the point where it seems like Vicky's uncomfortable just even putting on lipstick because her mom might disapprove or something. You know, she doesn't want to like, even
2: get get all dolled up.
1: Right, and her mom's, like, all against her getting a new dress. Like, she just very, you know, she grew up in a very suppressed and inv- or a very repressed environment because of the church, and then you just see that, you know, Vicky and Mary Lou have two very different reactions to it. You see Vicky as, like, the product of growing up in that kind of environment, and then you see Mary Lou as more of a reaction to the church, <laughs> where Mary Lou is this woman who's like... No, fuck you. You are not <laughs> going to tell me how to live, you know, and, and and you see that. And that's why I love that that is the opening scene mm-hmm. with Mary Lou just coming in and being like, I've committed all these scenes. And you know what? I loved every minute of it, you know. And then like she writes it,
2: her name in the confession. Yeah, for a good
1: time, call Mary Lou, which, by the way, I think was the writer's number at the time. <laughs> uh, nobody called apparently from Aww. from the trivia that I read, but
2: <laughs> nobody wanted to have a good time.
1: I guess not. Um, but you know, but but so so there are two different sides of the effects of the church. You know, like Vicky has obviously been repressed through it, and Mary Lou is kind of like this alternate reaction to it where it's more like a middle finger to the church and, and more saying that, you know, that everything that the church stands for in the way that it tries to suppress women is wrong. Yes. Which obviously it is. Yep. You know? And and I just love that she just delights so much in Saying that to the church to the point where she is literally tearing it down (laughs) and breaking through the confessional and and telling the priest that there's no fucking heaven. There's no hell. And you know what pissed me off the most? No fucking wings (laughs) as she stabs a cross right into him. (laughs) It's my
2: favorite thing because normally what we see in horror films like with possessions and all that kind of stuff is an aversion to the cross. The cross holds power. It can keep demons away. And fucking Mary Lou is wearing Vicky's cross. Like after the possession, like she kills him with the crucifix. It's all about like the church has no power. It has absolutely no power over you once you've decided what you want to do with your own life.
1: Well, but it's a commentary. Like again, it's you know this is why this is why I love Mary Lou taking over Vicky and and you know a- allowing her to find the will to break out of the suppression because you know when you look at movies or, or even just real life, you know it's always the church suppressing women for their sexuality and professing the and suppressing the queer community for the sexuality. Yep. You never you never see stories or, or see real life of, you know, the church suppressing straight men yeah. for the sexuality. You know, I mean obviously we're told not to, you know, have sex before you're married, but like what fucking priest or <laughs> or teenage boy actually goes through that a exactly. lot with the church, you know? Like that's yeah. not like you know, you it's never not like
2: the boys are getting called sluts and whores.
1: Well, right. You don't see that. You don't see that from the church. You don't see you don't see stories reflecting on that. It's always women. Yep. It's always the queer community being suppressed by the church. It's always characters like Vicky.
0: Yep.
1: <laughs> and, and so I. I just love that, you know, Mary Lou is like that character that just completely demolishes <laughs> <laughs> that idea of living for and by the laws of the church. And and to go along with that, you know, if you look closely, I, I do kind of love, too, that... And I'm not sure the significance of it, but I do kind of love that the two times that we see Mary Lou kind of getting it on... <laughs> the first time is in the opening with the prom scene, and as she's getting it on, there's, like, a whole wall of painted fire... Yeah, it's all fire! <laughs> ...next to her. And then later on, towards the end, when she, I think, has possessed Vicky at this point... She's getting it on with uh, Craig, and right before the camera pans over to them, you see a drawing of a devil. <laughs> so, so I don't know if that's the film implying that she's satanic or or what, or, but the ultimate point is she ain't for the fucking church. No. Nope. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and again, I just I just love that it's all about breaking through that suppression with her, but. Yeah.
2: No, yeah, she is such a fucking badass and what pisses me off is that we don't get more Mary Lou after this.
1: Yeah, you know, the so the thing with that is like we do get more Mary Lou in Prom Night 3 which I mentioned earlier. But but <laughs> this was a character that we did deserve more of and and it and it really is a shame that we didn't get more Mary Lou because, you know, and it makes me think that like it has to be because she was a woman, right? Like yes. it <laughs> I hate to say that, but it's 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 how it feels, you know, because it's not like Prom Night wasn't successful. Mm. Again, I don't know how successful Prom Night 2 was. It did kind of get buried. But part of me wonders if it got buried because it was all about women An gaining awesome confidence yeah. and, and <laughs> breaking out of the suppression shit, right? <laughs> you know, and, and having this awesome character of Mary Lou, like, it felt like it got buried. And, you know, I, I've always been of the mindset of I could have gone with 10 Mary Lou films. I don't care. Give me all the Mary Lou films, you know? But part of me definitely thinks that, like, that character might not have become as popularized simply because she's a woman. Because, you know, you look at other characters, like like Michael Myers. Michael Myers ain't that fucking interesting, all right? Like, Michael Myers... Oh. I, I, don't get me wrong, I love Michael Myers, but he's not an interesting character. It's just, it's just some dude who walks around quiet in a mask. Like, Sweet. it's not that interesting, you know? But, but we got fucking endless Halloween sequels, and endless Jason Voorhees sequels, and endless... Candyman sequels and just endless every male slasher villain you can think of you know we got we got fucking eight leprechaun (laughs) movies but we couldn't get even a third mary lou movie you know like and and to go along with that i mean these movies are almost impossible to find most of the time like until until prom night 2 came on the shutter you couldn't find it anywhere you know and you still can't really find prom night 3 that easily so unless you look on youtube or something so like (laughs) You know, it just uh it just really feels like that character got buried uh simply for being a woman and yep. we just and it's a shame because we just don't have enough great female villains in horror. You know, it we just it, they they're just they just don't really exist like outside of uh outside of the J horror genre, mm-hmm. you know, with the ghosts there in in American horror. I mean, we've got Carrie
2: But Look, it's the thing that pisses me off about the horror. I love horror movies. I love the horror community. But, like, god damn, I don't get, like, a good franchise with lady killers. Like, look, I love Friday the 13th. But that started with Pamela. That should have been Pamela's franchise. But we went with Jason, which I love my big boy. But, Mm. like, Pamela doesn't get hers. Tiffany, I feel like, only gets to keep coming back because she's paired with Chucky. It's not like Tiffany ever gets her own movie. Like even with Ginger Snaps, like Gin- we all fucking love Ginger. She's an amazing werewolf and she doesn't even get to appear other than as like you know, uh, a thought in the second film. Like female oh, she's not,
1: she's not a thought. I mean, uh, she's still a character she's in the still next a character, two movies.
2: <laughs> but like she's not there anymore. Like it's it's a thing for me that like really bums me about bums me out about the horror genre sometimes is like we have a lot of amazing, awesome badass kick-ass female villains and they never get more than two movies ever
1: well they never get that i mean the the thing that i will say for for the horror genre is that you know it does have a lot of strong female heroes but but you know i i do think it's important to have both like i think it's important to have you know like if you're like you know if if you identify as a woman growing up like you want to see both you want Mm -hmm. to see the heroes and you want to see the villains that you kind of love too right like you know like because uh, you know, those are always the popular characters like yeah. i love nancy nancy's my favorite final girl but nancy's not the character that we all think of first when we think of a nightmare on elm street right nancy's not so, the
2: one where you've got like merchandise of
1: right exactly so you know so it's important to have that so anyway
2: i'll wrap this up <laughs> with
1: just saying that we needed more we deserved more and i'll, I'll end with i i hope that we get more because you know going back to that Fangoria article that i mentioned was a great interview with a journalist i think his name's Michael Veratti i probably pronounced that wrong but but in the interview he's talking to Ron Oliver and Ron Oliver mentions that they have talked about potentially like what i i don't know that it's like realistic talk and that it's going to happen but they've talked about what a sequel would be for Mar- for Mary Lou and It did really strike me as, like, I need to see this because, you know, the original Prom Night 2 sets up with Mary Lou in the 50s and then takes place in the 80s, and what they were kind of thinking that would be fun is if you were to reboot it, do it with something like Mary Lou is a character who burned up in prom in the 80s and then comes back in present day. So then you get, like, an 80s-style Mary Lou and with with that kind of language and that kind of attitude, you know, which I'm all for that. I
2: want it. Give it to me.
1: (laughs) I need it. Um... But all right, so we got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of Prom Night 2?
2: Billy, because he thinks that just because he got rejected by a girl means he gets to throw a bomb at her and then also shoot another teenage girl. Like, no, you're an idiot, Billy.
1: Yeah, I, I just put Bill with quotes for everything because <laughs> <laughs> everything Bill does is idiotic. You know, Bill, Bill throwing the bomb was a stupid move to do. Bill keeping... The possessions, when he seems to know that they're possessed, is kind of a dumb thing to do. Bill just fucks up all around, right? So, you know, credit to Bill for saving his son in the end, but Bill's still an idiot. Uh, what about your killer death of Mary Lou?
2: Like, I just love Monica getting squished by the lockers.
1: Everybody's favorite. It's you, my favorite, too. Like, you cannot beat that locker kill. That locker kill is one of the best kills in, in the genre.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. I think for me, it comes down to the fact that you also get the weird, slightly musical element of uh, Vicky Mary Lou singing that song, and then at the last line, just smush, and then goo comes out.
1: Yeah. No, that's great. And then what about your killer MVP? <laughs>
2: Obviously, Mary Lou, she is one of my horror loves in my life, so so
1: Lisa schhrague, who plays mary Lou
2: <laughs> okay
1: is that is that who yes. you're picking yes. okay <laughs> uh no, she's mine too like i I think trigg just and it's amazing because becausehrague's not actually in that much of the movie. I mean she's got to be in like a few minutes of a total mm-hmm. uh but she just has such a presence i I love the way that she kind of works the camera, you know she she Emphasizes that confidence and that kind of like smirk of I'm going to destroy you and rip your heart out (laughs) kind of vibe, you know. Like, I just think she does a great job, but all right, so that's gonna do it for us on Hello Mary Lou prom night two. Uh, so we're gonna be moving into our Patreon content now where we're gonna talk about some of those kind of nightmarish images that vicky has and what's going on there, and we're also gonna talk about. why proms are kind of the site of massacres and <laughs> horror movies and why that's kind of a popular thing with that uh so if you like to hear that just go to patreon.com slash killer horror critic first a dollar a month you get access to all of our all of our additional bonus content uh we also have voting for our themes of the month there bonus episodes uh lists of new releases for each week so so definitely go there and support us if you can every dollar goes right back to paying our writers at killerhorrorcritic.com. it keeps us alive it keeps us being able to pay them so just Please support us if you can. Otherwise, we just appreciate you listening. I uh, want to give a shout out to our killer members on Patreon Ben Scouton, Michael Campbell, Martin Nichetta, Seth Vermont, Kelsey Lynn, and John Reed Adams. Just thank you so much for your support and for everything that you do for us. And next week, we will be talking about Lucky McKee's May, which is one of my favorite horror movies that I can't wait to get into. Uh, but that's going to do it for us so I'm Matt and I'm Chris and have a good night horror fans
2: bye
0: I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic if you'd like to scream with us some more please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space as well as Instagram at Killer underscore underscore Critic new episodes release every friday so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way i like them have a good night horror fans